And I always like to praise the name of the Lord because when you are alive, it simply means that God is still working in your life. God is still good. And in spite of what you're going through, God is still amazing in your life because you have life. And you should always say amen for that. Life is a gift. Life is a gift, and we should celebrate that. Amen, my sister. Amen. Amen. Uh, before I get into, into uh, the sermon this morning, I just want to come back again and, and, and hit the drum that you've heard beat multiple times again and again and again. You see, I believe that God wants to do amazing things via Facts of Life Ministry, the Carter Central Church, and to do something amazing and unique. And so there is this vision to bring crosswalk to Jakarta. I already see two phones up there. You've already put it up. You're scanning. Thank you. All right. So look, put out your phone. Let's scan and, and, and let's make that pledge to do something with God in 2024. All right. That's what I'm going to tell you this morning. Pray about this. Ask the Lord to, to, to show you how much you should give. And you might be like, hey, Pastor, listen, finances are tight. I get it. I get it. Finances are difficult, you know what I mean? But when we partner with God, you will see God move things in your life that you never thought could move. God will give you the contracts you're looking for. God will give you the opportunities you're looking for because what God needs the most is not your money. What God needs the most is your faith to believe that he can provide what you need. Amen, someone. Ooh, whenever I talk about money, your amens, hmm, they become... Very weak. Amen. 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 We, we work. I don't know what's happening with the, the presentation this morning, but um, it's not acting like I want it uh, to happen. So pray, pray for that. Uh, last Sabbath, Pastor Sam left us with a theme that I think is so important when he, he told us we need a mind to work. You guys remember that? Only Brother Johan remembers that. What about the rest of you? Now, he said four things that we need if we're going to develop a mind to work. Number, number one, he said, we need a sense of order. We also need a sense of obedience. We need a sense of overflow and we need a sense of ownership. And so if you can develop this mindset, then you're actually going to be able to do the work that God is asking you to do. Now, for all the time that we've been preaching, we've been talking about Nehemiah working on the wall. He's been busy trying to get things started, trying to get the temple established. But this particular Sabbath, I want us to take Nehemiah from the wall and look at him working within the walls. There is the wall, but in this particular chapter, Nehemiah says, let's leave the wall for a second. Let's look at what's happening within the wall. This is the kind of sermon that is going to make you uncomfortable because it's going to ask you to look at what's happening in your bedroom. It's going to ask you to look at what's happening with your money. It's going to ask you to look at how you're parenting your kids. It's going to ask you to look at the business transactions that you're making. Because a lot of times we can focus on the work we need to do and forget addressing the issues that are killing our relationships. The issues that are really killing us spiritually, and this is where I'm coming at this uh, particular morning. So if you have your Bibles, 
Kindly turn with me to Nehemiah chapter number 5, and we're going to read from verse 1 until verse number 6. When you got it, say amen. Nehemiah chapter number 5 and verses number 1. When you got it, say amen. 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 Don't worry, you're going to warm up in a minute. <clears throat> this is what it says. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. But there were those who said, watch this, with our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain and let us find food to keep alive. It was so bad that they did not have food to eat, so they had to go out and hustle. That's the situation. That's the first group. Now notice the second group. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. When you come across famine in the Bible, it simply means that the economy is bad. <laughs> That's what it means. So there are those who have given up their property because they want to pay their bills. That's the second group. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for, for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are, are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. Ooh. It is not in our power to do something about this. For, every, for, for other men have our fields and our vineyards, and I was angry when I heard their outcry and these words. The third group is they have borrowed money and they cannot pay because it is just too difficult. Today I want to talk to you about the work within the wall. The work within the wall. Let us pray. Mighty God, thank you for this moment. And I'm asking you to step up me, I'm asking you to step up for a brother today who needs this word so that, Father, we can connect with you and, and find the help that we need at this particular moment. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. She's been called the girl who couldn't feel pain. Gabby Bringers. You see, when the doctors injected her, she didn't feel it. Dr. Regina, she, she wouldn't feel your injection. Room work. When she touched snow, she didn't feel frost. When she touched heat, she was burned, but she didn't feel the pain. You see, Gabby Gringas was diagnosed with congenital insensitivity to pain. Honestly, some days I feel like I need this disorder. <laughs> you feel me? I mean, after the heartbreak, don't, don't you want to just get over it? <laughs> you know what I mean? If you've been let go, don't you just want to get over that real fast? If somebody has betrayed you that you love, wouldn't you want to just, that don't face me? You know, when I was thinking about Gabby Gringas and this 
disorder, I, I started to think about during the pandemic. You remember the pandemic? <laughs> they take the swab thing, put it in your nose, and then all of a sudden you're, you start to cry, you know what I mean? Tears coming out of your eyes because it was that painful. Honestly, I feel like sometimes I don't want to feel the pain. I don't know if you're with me right there today, that you're feeling some kind of pain, it's difficult, it's painful, and you just wish it to go away. Here's what I've learned that may disappoint you, but I think you need to understand it, that the closest people do the greatest harm. That sometimes where the pain points are, the pressure points come from are some of the closest people, some of the people who they were on your team supporting you, they no longer support you. That can be a place of pain. It can be a dad, it can be a mom, it can be a sibling, it can be a brother, it can be somebody who you knew from high school. Those are the kind of people that can break you down and hurt you. And I know somebody here is in that situation. And you're licking the wounds, wounds from a friend, from a brother, from a sibling. Because sometimes the greatest people, the closest people, do the greatest harm. And this is the pressure point of the sermon this morning, Brother Adriel. Because what we have in this story is that we have Jew against Jews. Fighting each other, hurting each other. It's Jew against Jew crimes. Look at the text. Now there was a great outcry of the people and their wives because, watch this, because of their Jewish brothers. The text could have simply said because of the Jews. But it's trying to help us to understand that relationships, family, friends, they are the place of pain in a lot of instances. Up to this point in the book of Nehemiah, it has been pain from the outside. It has been Sanballat, Tobiah, Gershom, the, the, the Arab. But the flip is script in chapter 5. The text is saying, hold up. Let's look at the people who have come back from Babylon. The ones who believe in God. Who believe in the salvation he can provide. Let's look at them and see that they are the ones who are causing pain. They are the ones who are being oppressors. They are the slave masters. And that's somebody's family this morning. That it is the man who you said I do too. That has cheated on you. That is a family this morning. That during Christmas this year, you're not going to get a gift from your, from, your, from your dad or your mom. But your mom or your dad or your sibling are going to give a gift to a friend. And you might be listening to me saying, Pastor, the church is supposed to be a lovely place. The church is supposed to be a good place. But I came to tell you today that in fact the church can sometimes be the, 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 the place of pain. It can be difficult. And I want to tell you that you can be hurt by me. Maybe I've hurt you. I don't know. But it's still a better place to be than on the outside. Amen, somebody? I know you want to run out. But you're better in here than out there. 
Because this is still God's church. It is still God's place. And as long as God calls it his own, it is still a safe place. But I just want to warn you that when you're feeling pain and when you're like, Pastor, why are people not talking to me at church? Pastor, why? Why nobody greets me at church? Pastor, how come I've never been invited to anything? When that happens, I want you to understand that's a part of the deal. But the pain becomes sharper. When you are powerless because you can't do anything about it. It's one thing to feel pain, but it's another thing to feel pain and not know what to do about the pain. Or you know what to do about the pain, but you just don't know how to solve it because you're not in the position of power. You are the younger one. You don't have the money yet. You have the money, but the treatment has not yet reached certification level so that you can get the treatment. You want to solve the situation, but you don't have the skills. So it's, it's one thing to, to feel pain, but, but, but not be able to solve it. And, and this is the story of the people in our text. Because the reason why they are crying out is because they are unable to do something about it. And the language reminds us of uh, the, the, the story of the Exodus when the people in Israel, they are, the, the people in Egypt, they are crying out to God. God, we are slaves. It's been 400 years 490 years, you, you told our forefather Abraham in, in, in Genesis 15 that we'll be here for all this time, but Lord, it's too long. And I understand it when it's an Egyptian hurting a Jew, but the text is trying to help us to understand. Let's back up for a second. We have Jews hurting against each other, and it's a bad thing. And I want you to notice something. In the passage is that the passage gives us a, an unusual unusual information it says it was the people and their wives <laughs> so brother Ernest I don't know if you're gonna agree with me but one of the things that I'm learning is that when you get into it with your wife is that she'll tell you ten topics at once She'll tell you, we're talking about the car, but it'll be about, we didn't go on a date this week, or we didn't do that this week. You know what I mean? And I was telling my wife, I said, listen, honey, uh, could you just tell me one subject at a time? It'll help me a lot. And she said, uh, baby, that, that's how women roll. You just got to get used to it. So here we have a situation that the women are also complaining because the text is trying to help us to see that it's really bad. It's not just affecting the men at work. It's affecting the men in their families, family life. It's affecting them when they're trying to solve situations. The wives are telling them, honey, you got to solve this. you got to fix this. And so it's trying to see that, no, listen, listen. The family is really under attack. And though, watch this, we're trying to build a wall to protect ourselves. But what's gotten bad is what's happening within the wall. You see, sometimes in the process of a large-scale project, you discover a large-scale problem. That sometimes when you're trying to get the project off the ground, you discover that, man, we have a serious issue. Sometimes you're planning to set the date, but then you discover, no, we have different views about money. 
Apollo 13, 1970. It was the third time that the United States, uh, 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 not the United States, but NASA was planning to land on the moon. They had already been there twice. They're going there for a third time. But as they're going to, to the moon for a third time, a large-scale project, they're about to do something huge. One of the oxygen tanks exploded. So what did they have to do? They had to abort the mission because they were going to lose all their astronauts. And therefore, they landed back on Earth without finishing the mission. My point is this to somebody. That sometimes when you're trying to move ahead in your career, you discover a situation that is happening at home that is so bad, and you cannot proceed to go ahead until you resolve the particular situation. In fact, if you do not resolve it, it's going to sabotage the project that you are doing. And so Nehemiah is on the wall working things out, but he says, wait a minute. If we continue to progress with the wall and we don't address the issues within the wall, we cannot actually build the wall. And so I came to tell somebody this situation this morning. You have got to get to the place that you stop avoiding the issue and face it head on. If you must meet the person, meet the person. If you must have the conversation, have the conversation because you are not getting there until you deal with that thing. Amen, nobody? Oh, Lord. I'm breaking it down right here. Notice, notice what the text says. It rose up. It always going to rise up. Man, we're going to church. And then you get in an argument. Baby, we're going to church, man. Stop this. Focus on the Lord. No, it's not about church. Focus on what she's bringing up. That's what I'm learning in my life. That I cannot be, I'm serving the Lord, I'm doing the work of the Lord, blah, 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 blah. My wife is like, hey, hey, can we talk about this? So stop running away. Start addressing it and fixing the issues. If you got something with me, come on, let's talk about it. We're brothers, we're sisters, we're family. Let me bring it closer to you. It rose up. Why did it rise up? Most of you wouldn't relate to this, but let me help you to understand. When you are hungry, it's go jack, go food. <laughs> or you go to Grand Indonesia or Super Indo to buy your, your vegetables and whatever you want to eat. But in Israel, it was an agro-economy, meaning... If there was a famine, which was happening in this particular situation, it meant that you were going broke and things were going to become difficult and hard. Now, this is what people did. Okay, it's hard. But there are some of our Jewish brothers who have money more than we do. So what did they do? They borrowed the money to kind of make it through the difficult situation. A normal, logical thing to do. But now, what, notice what happened. The richer Jews, they saw an opportunity. You know, during the pandemic, those who were making masks and uh, alcohol, they made a lot of money. Because every time it was always, pake mascar. Wajib pake mascar. You know, you had to wear a mask. Those people were making money because... It was a difficult situation for a lot of us. This is what is happening in the text. They see, okay, he's coming for money. Hmm, 
I'm going to make it difficult. Now, let me help you to see the picture so you can, you can understand this. In Israel, it was okay to have a slave. Like, if somebody owed you money and they couldn't pay you back, you could make them a slave for a period of seven years. And after they worked for you for seven years, you had to release them to let them go. Hey, God was trying to teach the people, you got to be responsible. If you take money and you, you, you take loans, you, have, you got to pay up. So God was teaching them responsibility. And the thing was, in Israel, you could never charge tax or interest on somebody who was, who was a Jew. But in our text, what is happening is the people are charging taxes. And they're not letting the slaves go free. After seven years, they're not letting them go free. And let me just make it more grotesque and, and, and ugly for you so that you can appreciate how bad this was. If you look at the word there, enslaved, it is in, it is in yellow. The word there, enslaved, has actually sexual overtones. We get this from the book of Esther. This is what is happening. And that's why the text is saying some of our daughters have been enslaved because some of the men made some of the girls their sex toys. And the reality is, some of us, when we look at the weaknesses of those around us, we poke the finger. Yeah, you're always like this. You never be good. We twist the knife to make a person feel bad. And this is what the people are doing to each other. And the Bible says when Nehemiah heard of it, he was angry. He said, I was very angry. Angry. How can they do this to one another? How, how can this be happening in the household of God? How can these things take place in here? So Nehemiah was angry, but he decided to do interviews. Number one, he talked to the people who had no lands, but they were trying to survive. And he listened to them. And this is what they told Nehemiah. Look, Nehemiah, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. I ain't got enough money to pay. All I want is food to keep alive. That's the first group Nehemiah listened to. The second group Nehemiah listened to, they're the ones who are saying, hey, look, Nehemiah, man, uh, for real, for real, uh, hey, brother, listen, I've just let go of my land. Because in Israel, land was your identity, and nobody was ever supposed to have your land. You could never actually sell and own land in Israel because land was an identity, you know? When I ask you where you're from, you say I'm from Indonesia because Indonesia is your identity. That's your land. You know what I mean? I'm trying to fit in, but every once and again, I'm reminded I'm not from Indonesia. I'm a bule. You feel me? So these guys have let go of their land, and they're saying, Nehemiah, look, man, we, we, we wanted to pay, but we don't have the money to pay. It's just difficult for us. And the third group that Nehemiah talked to are the people who had the land, but they just had too much debt. Because there was a system, a little, a little, a little thing going on in, 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 in the time that people could borrow money from the emperor of Persia and they could actually do their business. So some of these people, they cannot pay anymore and so it is difficult to them. Nehemiah is listening to them, hearing their story because he's trying to tell somebody this morning, solutions always begin at the place of impact and not intentions. Solutions always begin at the place of impact, not intentions. Somebody needs to hear that one more time. 
solutions begin at the place of impact, not intentions. Let's say I kick you accidentally. I'm walking and I just, I just kick you. I didn't intend to kick you, but you felt the impact of my kick. Are we together? Are we together? So even if you didn't mean it, but there's still an impact. Some of us were arguing, but what we're arguing about is not the impact, we're arguing about intentions, and that's why situations are never resolved in our families, because, no, I didn't mean it. <laughs> I didn't intend to do that. Who cares what you didn't intend to do? Let's talk about what you did, did to me. The impact. So Nehemiah says, look, I, I want to know what happened to you. I want to know what you're going through. And when he was armed with the impact, when he, he figured out what was going on, then he went and took action and he, he confronted those people who were lending money. He says, look, man, we cannot be paying, making people pay a lot of money. We have got to do something about this. It is not right. Here's a sad thing. Honestly, this, this passage challenged me a lot this week. Because when I read this, I, I saw something that really made me sad. Because what Nehemiah is saying is like this. We have been slaves in, in Babylon. God has brought us back. But get what, guess what we're doing? We are making slaves of each other. People in Israel are supposed to be free. But we are putting chains on them. So it wasn't just about interest. People not being able to pay their bills. It was really Nehemiah saying, are we living by the grace of God or not? And any time you forget the grace of God, you become a slave master. Anytime you forget the grace of God, you judge people. Anytime you forget the grace of God, you criticize others. And I can safely say that that's where some of us are because we have forgotten the grace of God. We have forgotten what God has done for us. We have forgotten the good things that God has done. So what we do, we are like that man who was forgiven his debt. Then he's owed debt by somebody else. And he says, hey, if you don't pay me, I'm going to kill you. God wants you and I to live in the context of grace that when I approach my brother, when I approach my sister, yes, he offended me. Yes, I'm hurt. Yes, I don't like it. But I can remember what God has done for me personally. And therefore, the way I treat them is not from my anger. It's coming from a place of how God has forgiven me. And listen to me, child of God, the church or your family or your relationship become a comedy club when you're not living by the grace of God. Because Nehemiah was telling the people, look, they're laughing at us. They're saying, look at these Jews. <laughs> They've come back from Babylon, but look at how they're treating each other. And the truth is, that is how people talk about us as Christians. 
talk about how unkind we are, how rough we can be. And I'm telling you stuff that I struggle with sometimes. When I walk out the gold jig sometimes, when he made a wrong turn and, and, and didn't follow the direction, sometimes I don't say thank you. I just walk out, slam the door. Sometimes I'm trying to enter the building and, and the, the, the petrol gas is greeting me and I, I, I... But I believe in Jesus. Sometimes I am going to church in the midst of all of that. But you see, Nehemiah wasn't just talking about the people. Nehemiah was talking about himself. Check this out. Check this out. Nehemiah, when he came back from Babylon... He also was lending his money to people and charging them interest. So he's saying, wait a minute, I'm also doing the same thing. I'm just as bad as the people who are treating the Jews bad. And I believe that this is where we can begin. I'm getting to the end. I, I believe that this is where we can begin. The musicians can play. I believe this is where we can begin is that can we own the contributions to the problems we see around us. This morning I was coming to church, planning to come to church, and uh, I saw that my shoe was dirty. And I said, hey man, I'm gonna stand in front of the people. My shoes cannot be dirty. And in my head I was thinking to myself, why didn't my wife remind so-and-so to clean the shoe? She should have reminded her to clean the shoe because we have somebody who helps us from time to time to, in the house. So this morning I'm going to preach a sermon, but I'm, I'm busy cleaning my shoe and I'm telling myself my wife should have reminded that person because if she not re had reminded her, I will not be struggling this morning. And then it hit me, why didn't I remind my wife? If I had reminded her, Perhaps I will not be in this particular situation. Yes, I wasn't the one responsible to wash the shoes, but I was responsible, I should have been responsible enough to tell her to remind the person, this is what I want somebody to hear me this morning. If something has gone wrong, it may not be your fault, but if it's within your ecosystem, if it's your family, if it's your church, if it's your company, whatever, however, you are somehow responsible for what has gone wrong. Yes, pastor? Yes. And I know you might say, pastor, no, that's a little strange. I'm not the one who's making mistakes. I get all of that. And there's room for all of that. But the question is, you are part of the family. You're part of the relationship. You're part of the church. And the question is, what are you doing to solve the situation? Because many of us are like fans. We like talking about the things that are wrong. We like talking about who is now doing what. But get in the game sometimes. Do something. Change it. Can the musicians play because I'm almost done. I want to end this thing today because this is the last day we're going to do we work. You see, taking ownership creates better conditions for those around you. That's what Nehemiah did. And those around you create better conditions for you. You know, one of the things I used to hate when I first came to Indonesia 
was how when we are on a group chat and we need to contribute either money or we need to dish our responsibility, you would make a list and start listing people. I'm giving this, I'm bringing this. I, I didn't kind of like that because I felt like, hey, man, if, if the Lord has impressed me to do something, I'm going to do it. But then as I've lived here a little bit longer, I said, no, it's actually a good thing because people are taking ownership and responsibility for their part in the organization, for their part in the company. And that's what I'm telling somebody this morning. Sign your name up. The kid ain't doing good in school. <laughs> what did I do so that the kid ain't doing good in school? My marriage is failing. What am I not doing to fix this marriage? People don't greet at church. They don't talk at church. What am I doing to get people to talk at church? Taking ownership. And if I took ownership, you can play. I told you, when you take ownership, you create better conditions for those around you. And those around you create better conditions for you. Nehemiah was appointed governor. He was working on the wall. But because people saw, whoo, this man is making a difference. They didn't be our governor. And Nehemiah, when he got into office, he didn't do it like the governors who were before him. Nehemiah decided not to take an allowance. Watch this out. Nehemiah decided not to take the food allowance. He said, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna burden the people any longer. Creating better conditions. Because the former governors, yeah, now nah, they were messed up, man. Even their servants were abusing the people. You create better conditions by the patterns you set not the promises you make. When people saw Nehemiah coming from Babylon, leaving a good life to serve in Jerusalem, and they saw him leaving the wall to come and address the issues within the wall. Listen now, that's the leader we need. Patterns. Some of you are in love with promise. Some of you are in love with, the, with what it is going to look like. But you need to fall in love with patterns this morning. Because whatever patterns you're seeing are the patterns you're going to see when you elevate the relationship. If he's cheating on you now, he's going to cheat there. If she's spending money now, she's going to spend money there. If they're late now, they're going to be late there. Patterns. Don't fall in love with promise. Fall in love with patterns. How do they handle themselves? That is what is going to get you over the top. And so Nehemiah says, I did this because I feared God. I wasn't motivated to do this because of who was looking at me. I did this because I love God. Nehemiah was motivated by the fear of God. And I'm wondering, what is motivating you this morning? Who is motivating you this morning? Most of us have a car. A car is a beautiful thing, but not. A car can take you places. You can go from Jakarta to Bogo. You know what I mean? You're going to take a car to go to work, to go home. Don't go to work today. Amen, somebody. <laughs> but a car is a beautiful thing. But the same car that can take you to Bogo is, is, is a car that can crush you and kill you. 
you have to handle the car correctly for it to be a blessing to you. The fear of God allows you to handle God correctly. And that's what we need if we're going to treat each other the right way. Because I have, if I have a fear for God, then I, I will make sure I'm not talking about you. If I have a fear for God, I'll make sure that I forgive. And if I have a fear for God, I'll make sure that I'm kind. And if I have a fear for God, I'll make sure that I step up and do my part. If I have a fear for God, I'm going to make sure I'm working and doing something. And God, child of God, as we end the series, the year is coming to an over. I'm saying to you, let us have a fear for God. Doesn't matter what the pastor thinks. What does God think? Two things. Nehemiah was a governor, but at the same time he was working on the wall. He never left the original assignment. Huh? He was working on the wall and working within the wall. That's what I'm calling somebody to do this morning. Work for God. Do the great things for God. But can we start to address the issues where we live? Address the issues with people around us and start fixing things and let's have better homes and families. And so you're saying, Pastor, I want to work on the wall. But I also want to work within the wall. Anybody? If you raise your hand, stand with me. Stand with me. If you raise your hand, stand up. I want to work on the wall. And I want to work within the wall. I will do for God, but I'll make sure I'm addressing the issues in my life. Making a difference. Every head is bowed, every set of eyes is closed as we pray. Father God, your people have stood. They're saying they want to work on the wall, and they want to work within the wall. Father, you know what is happening in their lives. You know the struggles that they're facing. You know the challenges that they see. Father, I'm asking you to respond to them, to help them to stick to the vision, to help them to fix what is broken. I pray, Lord, that you would help your people today to work on the wall and within the wall. Your people have heard your word. They know what they need to do. I'm just asking you, Father, that you give them the extra juice to do it. Thank you, Almighty God, because I know you're going to push us forward. And Lord, as the year is coming to an end, we know you're going to bring us to places we've never been before. So we trust you. We believe in you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.